They soared together for eight years on Indianapolis Afternoon Sports Talk Radio. Jake Query and Derek Schultz did. Then a bumpy and unexpected landing. Corporate pulled the plug in 2020. No more Query and Schultz on radio. Hi, I'm Query. And I'm Schultz. And of course, we do the incredibly creatively and appropriately named Query and Schultz program every Monday on ISC Sports Network. Derek Schultz, growing up as a miracle triplet, his journey from the wiffle ball fields of the East Coast to life now in Indiana, and how jumping on a trampoline with his young son helped him bounce back from losing his radio gig. He's my guest this week on the Business and Beyond podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 85 of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. I'm Gary Deck. Derek Schultz grew up just outside of New York City in Trumbull, Connecticut. He was the first of three children Dorothy Schultz gave birth to, all in one delivery. Triplets, or miracle triplets as Derek describes it. He grew up a sports junkie, told his mom as a six-year-old he wanted to be a sportscaster. He loved basketball and started a wiffle ball league with his buddies as a teenager. Once Derek realized playing sports in high school or college wasn't in the cards, he set his sights on covering them. Graduated IU, went on to a successful career in sports radio, co-hosting Query and Schultz on WNDE for eight years, and now on ISC Sports Network with his broadcasting buddy, Jay Query. And it really gives me a great deal of pleasure to be joined by Derek Schultz, the uh, currently content and communications manager at ISC Sports Network. You also catch him uh, every week uh, with his buddy, Jay Query, on ISC Sports Network uh, and uh, across uh, major podcast platforms as well with that show. Derek, how are you? It's great to hear from you, Gary. I always feel underdressed every time that we uh, <laughs> we interact at all. But thanks so much for having me on your show. We, we are good. You know, this is a... Um, as I was driving in this morning, uh, thinking about our conversation, and there are for me, there are several really kind of great times to be a sports fan. I think this is one of them as we get into the fall. We've got college football starting up. As we are taping this now, the Colts uh, will open up this weekend, so the NFL season's getting underway. Uh, Major League Baseball will soon be in, in playoff mode, so uh, a lot going on in the in the sports world. Yeah, you have kind of everything sort of converging at once over these next couple of weeks, because even when you get into October, then, the, you know, the Pacers start camp and, you know, Hoosier hysteria and Mackie Madness, you know, Indiana, Purdue, yeah. college basketball right around the corner. Um, it, it really is one of my favorite times of the year. But specifically when it comes to the Colts uh, here in this town, it's kind of one of those hope springs eternal yeah. <laughs> sort of yeah, thing. Right. You know, this is a. This is a different market. This isn't Chicago. This isn't New York where it's a lot of doom and gloom and the fans are calling in to complain. This is a lot of, hey, how do we get to the Super Bowl this year uh, type <laughs> stuff every single year with this team? Well, OK, speaking of the Super Bowl or at least the playoffs or run in the playoffs, realistically speaking, from your standpoint, there is some optimism this year. I know I talked to Frank Reich on the podcast a few weeks ago, and of course, he's going to say that. But but he, he talked about an optimism and enthusiasm that he is feeling obviously a new quarterback and Matt Ryan, uh, the Colts have made a, a few moves. They seem to have pieces in place to have a pretty good season. Is that, is that an overstatement? 
No, I, I think they absolutely have the pieces in place to have a good season. You're still relying on a lot of different things hitting, including some unknowns, like let's say at, at wide receiver with Paris Campbell, who is talented, but has never shown himself to be healthy. Stefan Gilmore, who was the defensive player of the year uh, a couple of years ago as a lockdown cornerback, now trying to kind of revive his career, who's also had some health concerns in Indianapolis. Unique Ngakwe has been a great player, a, a really nice, solid pass rusher. But for some reason, he's bounced around to like five different teams and no yeah. one seems to know why. So, you know, there are a lot of unknowns and, and and you could say that about the other 31 NFL teams, too. But if certain things hit, then this team can can really go somewhere. But Gary, to me, I, I think it's very important that the Colts win something tangible this season. They haven't won the division since 2014 that's an awful long time to go especially when if we're being honest this is historically the nfl's worst division at least since the last realignment 20 years ago which is hard to believe that it's been 20 years right of the afc south but i think deep down frank reich uh who is entering year five and, and chris boward who is entering year six know that okay it's time to shift this thing into drive after kind of spinning their wheels these last couple of years when they announced the deal to get matt ryan i thought it was a heck of a deal. I mean, I thought it was a, a really a positive for the Colts. Not everyone nationally, maybe some locally, you know, there were folks who questioned that. What's your take on Matt Ryan? I think he's a great fit for this uh, for this franchise, obviously at the tail end of his career, but a leader, a guy who's been there was, um, you know, close to a Super Bowl win. Uh, what's your take on, on Matt Ryan and his what his impact will be this season? Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. You know, from the Colts standpoint, they really got lucky that it worked out this way because they played a they pushed their chips in on a losing hand, which was the Carson Wentz experiment last year. And and a lot of times it's hard to recover from something like that. But the Colts were able to recoup something out of Wentz from Washington and then parlay just a, a, a later round pick into Matt Ryan, who isn't the player that he was when he went to the Super Bowl, as you said, Gary, as, a, as an MVP in 2016 and had the Falcons that close yeah. <laughs> to, to winning that thing up 28-3 at one point, but still I think raises the floor of what the Colts have had at quarterback with guys like Carson Wentz and with guys like Jacoby Brissett. I, I don't think that he is going to struggle the way that those guys struggle. Um, I think he brings a stability uh, leadership. Uh, there are a lot of similarities to me, even though he is a lesser player. And I think even he'd admit that um, a lesser player than Peyton Manning. I think there are a lot of similarities between him and Peyton Manning and how he approaches things and no nonsense, no excuses, prepare, 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 practice, practice, practice. And, uh, and I think you're going to see a lot of the same rituals and routines that you saw when, when Manning was here. I, I think what fans want to see is maybe some of the same results <laughs> as right, when Manning right. was here, but that is still uh, TBD. What's Derek Schultz been up to? Uh, I, you know, I look at, at, at your career and certainly followed you uh, and listened to you frequently. Uh, you and, um, and Jay Query on, uh, on, on the show on WND uh, NDE for so many years. Uh, and you really developed a strong following. And I think, and we'll get into that uh, in, in how that all played out. But, you, you know, I look at you and you seem to be continuing to reinvent yourself, doing a, a number of um, uh, really cool things. I know Indianapolis Monthly is one. Uh, mentioned the ISC Sports Network as well. Tell me what's keeping you busy. Yeah, a lot of stuff is keeping me busy, including a, a very active uh, kindergartner. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, certainly in my professional life as well. Um, you know, it was an interesting time for me because when 
you know, iHeart had the national layoffs and we were, we got swept up in that. They, they cut a thousand jobs and, and it hit the middle markets, especially pretty bad Louisville and Des Moines and, and obviously Indianapolis with, with Jake and I, and we lost, I think eight other people in our building um, on that day. But at that time, I, I, I just, didn't really know what I was going to do. You know, radio was the only thing that I had ever done and what I was passionate about. And honestly, with my contract, that was essentially what I was restricted in doing. I was, right. I was only yeah. going to do this and only going to be this radio host. And, and then, you know, COVID hit and my wife being a, uh, a trauma ICU nurse at a city hospital, like th- there were a lot of things kind of converging at once at that time. It was, it was so, not that 2020 wasn't a trying year for just about everybody. I'm just saying that, you know, kind sure. of in my world, it was, uh, you know, job loss into the pandemic into, you know, what am I going to do? You know, the avalanche of all of that kind of happening at once. But what I, what I thought to myself was, look, it, it, today's landscape, I'm not going to sit around and wait for a radio job. I'm not going to sit around and wait for a sports media job. That is shrinking. It's not expanding. You know, th- those seats are going away compared to where they were 10, 15, 20 years ago. So how can I stay in this and how can I stay involved and, and how can I keep building on the foundation that Jake and I, and, and I guess myself as well, have, have already built on with this brand and everything like that while still kind of fulfilling my professional obligations and, you know, helping contribute to the household and, and right, you know, having right. a job really. And so it, it's really just worked out really well, Gary. Um, my nine to five, if you will, my, my day job is what you mentioned there with the IC sports network, which is more behind the scenes, which I'm fine with, you know, talking with athletic directors and being kind of the point of contact for, for our productions and, and helping staff those and, and put all of that stuff together in social media and, and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's allowed me the freedom to pursue these other things. You know, the, the, the a, a quick story on the Indie Monthly thing, they actually approached me at the end of my, I had a non-compete, which I think people in the business know, but I think people outside the business don't realize that even if they let you go, they still hold you to non-compete. Yep. So it's August of of 2020 and Michael Rubino, who's the editor in chief at Indianapolis monthly was like, Hey, and I had done a couple of things with Indie monthly sort of over the years, just, you know, know, we had kind of a relationship or whatever. Uh, Do you want to write about your sabbatical? Uh, You know, you're, you're six months away and, and what you've been doing. And I thought to myself, well, I don't know if I want to do that because it was a, uh, a really challenging time for me from a mental standpoint and, you know, kind of recalibrating who I was as a professional and as a dad. And I took a job at Amazon part time because I just needed to get, I told my wife, I was like, I've never really, I started busting tables when I was 15. I've never really not worked. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, I was collecting severance and all that, but after about four weeks of sitting around, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I got to go somewhere and do something. So I had that experience. I also had the misfortune of scheduling a vasectomy on the day that Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to get snipped and do the frozen peas and watch basketball all day. And of course, I'm the idiot who gets it done the day that the sports world completely shuts down. Shuts down, right. (laughs) So I thought to myself, okay, well... I'll write about this. And I had some like journal entries and things like that, just to kind of, I don't know, cope with what was going on. So I wrote some stuff down in March and April and and May during this sabbatical, if you want to call it that. And I I said, okay, to not keep it like too dark or depressing or or whatever else, whatever I'm talking about, I'll just kind of kind of do a play on my journal entries and go, you know, week by week, month by month, and, and also get in all these vasectomy (laughs) sort of references (laughs) 
in the piece. So that was the first thing that I did for Indie Monthly, where I just kind of wrote like, you know, in January 14th, we were let go. March 17th, this happened. You know, March 20th, yeah. this happened. And um, the response was just overwhelming. I mean, it was it was amazing. Um, you know, I, I loved kind of like, opening myself up for that. But then, then hearing from people who were like, hey, I went through a similar thing mm-hmm. and, and connecting with those people. It was great. And I think we were all kind of in it and going through it together in 2020, which yeah. feels like a long time ago now. But that that's kind of how that started. And then, um, and then the indie star, I was doing a podcast with Greg Doyle. Um, and then he decided to kind of focus more on, on writing. He just kind of got, I think, burned out with everything. You know, Greg's an extremely hard worker who I've got a tremendous amount of respect for. And so when that podcast ended, I was like, oh, okay, well, indie star is not going to want me to do anything anymore. I'm not with Greg. Um, but Nat Newell calls me the next day and he's like, Hey, Hey, do you have an episode for this week? It's like, what are you talking about, man? Like Greg, you know, Greg told you, right. He's not doing it anymore. He's like, well, yeah, you could still do it. Like you host. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That became kind of the Schultz star show podcast. And, you know, I don't know how you feel about your show, but um, the number one thing I miss about being on the radio is interviewing and and talking to people. And so that kind of scratches that itch for me. So it's, it's the best of both worlds. I have the ISC job. That is the job job, which I still very much enjoy but I fuel the passions with all the, uh, the freelance stuff and query and Schultz yeah. keep that alive and, and Indie Monthly and Indie Star. Yeah, you mentioned the Indie Monthly uh, piece, which I read, and it was very interesting. And, and you really kind of brought, I think, brought readers in uh, on that. Uh, reflecting back, because as you mentioned, you, you and Derek were caught up in a, in a nationwide cutback. So it was nothing you guys did. But, but, but going through that, talk about that the day you found out and, and kind of the emotions and the mental piece of that as that first hit and in, in dealing with that, how, how tough was that? So I was actually on that day, um, that morning, I went down to the star headquarters downtown to tape the podcast with Greg and I'm driving to the iHeart studios, which are in the Bob and Tom building over there, Fall Creek and Shaylin. I People know about that. It's been around mm-hmm. for a long time. It's kind of hidden back there, but it's been around for a long time. And I think it was on 465 heading back from downtown and I get a call from Jake and, you know, it's like 930 in the morning. So I'm thinking to myself, Jake's usually not even awake yet at 930 <laughs> right. in the morning. So maybe something's up here. And I answer the phone, you know, hello. And the first thing he says is, are you fired? And I said, uh, no, I, I don't think so. What are you talking about? And he said, well, I'm fired. So I think you're probably fired too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, you know, talked about it. He, he got the phone call. He actually got the, um, the heads up earlier that day. I did notice that the social media accounts passwords has changed and I had the email on there. And so, but, but that had happened before Gary, you know what I mean? Like where yeah. they changed passwords or, you know, they, they replaced a website person or whatever else. So I didn't really think of it, but then I, you know, I was adding it up in my head. So that, that was the longest drive of my life. Cause it was almost like, do I even want to pull into the station knowing what they're about to tell me? Right. Or, or do I just want to stay in my car and, and hold on to that dream? So they brought me back in the office. My, my two bosses couldn't have been nicer about it. Like I said, it was not their decision. They've been through it before. You know, they hand you the sheet of paper. Here's the severance. Here are the contacts for the company, um, you know, whatever else. And then, uh, and then you go home. So I, I went home, told my wife, told my parents, uh, and then was in a little bit of a daze. I don't think I slept or ate for about three days, but then I was, uh, I was down in my basement with my uh, then toddler. I mean, he would have been not even three years old yet. And we're jumping on his little trampoline down in the basement. And we're playing this game where we have these plastic cowboy hats and you jump until the plastic hat falls off. And, (laughs) 
we kept doing it over and over again. And here I am kind of feeling sorry for myself all week. And he's just laughing uproariously at the plastic hat falling off. And it just kind of hit me that, you know what, everything's going to be okay. You, you have this little happy boy that your whole life revolves around. Yeah. You're not on the AM radio anymore. Who cares? So, um, you know, a lot of people said it, it, it's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you and everything's going to be work out. I, I remember thinking to myself, I, I, I got to the point where I wanted to punch everyone in the face that said everything's going to be fine because <laughs> right. I just heard it so much. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like my career is over and, and I'm, I'm finished forever. And it really is, you know, I can't speak for everybody, but most of the people seemingly that went through the same situation that I did came out the other side changed for the better. And, and even in some cases, including mine in a better situation than they were before. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and you talk about this convergence of things that that made that that period of time so so challenging on multiple fronts, be it COVID or, uh, you know, a number of other of other things. You guys had the chance or had the it looked like you had the opportunity to come back on the air. Right. You as I read that that piece, you and, and, and Jake yeah. met with your bosses. It looked like there was a deal to come back. T- tell me about that. So, yeah, it was it was the same day, actually, that the vasectomy was <laughs> scheduled for later that day. Our market manager really worked hard at trying to bring us back as freelancers. So it, it would have looked a lot different. It would not have been our employee, you know, 401k health benefits and all that. But he was like, look, I know this is a dead stick without a local show. So we need to have something local and, and we want you guys, can we do a, a revenue share and ran it up the flagpole and, and eventually came back with a deal where we were going to come back and, and essentially split things. And there were some other things that were involved in that. I'm not going to get into like the minutia right. of all of it, yeah. but there, there was a deal on the table for that to happen. I, I'm not a hundred percent sure that it, it was not a guarantee, Gary, that we were going to take that deal. I was ready to leave it behind. Like I said, I, I was during that time, I, I was thinking about, and you know this because I reached out to you about this. You know, I was looking at guys like Dick Ray and Eric Halverson and Mark Elysia, who had moved out of media and gotten into communications or PR and had done very well for themselves. And I thought, okay, where do my skills translate? I think I can do that. And I was ready to kind of leave it behind full time. But um, that deal was on the table. And then uh, obviously COVID changed the equation. A couple of weeks later, you know, I had called back and been like, hey, so uh, about that deal, I'm assuming that's off. And uh, and the bosses were like, look, we we just we can't do it. We've we've got to they're taking on water. They had to focus on the boats that they already had in their fleet. They couldn't add another one there. So um, that deal, I don't think that deal was ever meant to be, honestly. But yes, Uh that just adding to the calamity and the craziness of that day that and that's what I wrote about in Indie Monthly that that actually happened on the same day as the uh, procedure. <laughs> well, Hey, what's your take on the state of radio? Obviously all media is changing and continues to change in a big way, but radio nationally, but certainly here locally, we saw the the, the recent acquisition of Emmis and, and what that might hold. We'll, we'll see, but What's your take uh, on that? And, you know, look at WNDE as an example. You you guys go off. There's not a local component there, right? I mean, there's nothing local. I I don't know what what the the business model is there. But anyway, your overall take on on the radio business. 
I think you're just having a bunch of like Milwaukee just did this where they gassed out their entire sports staff and it's just, it's just a dead stick. You know, they put on a national satellite, whatever, and it rolls through and maybe there's some local play-by-play here and there that they sprinkle in, but that's, that's essentially it. And if they show up in the ratings book at all, it's, you know, somewhere in the twenties or the thirties, um, right. if they're lucky. So that's, and sadly, that's kind of where a lot of those, and, and I'm not saying that to be like, you know, vengeful. I, I, I don't sure. have any yeah. ill will towards, you know, I, I loved my time there, changed my life, but I think that's where it's at. I, I am a little bit biased here because like I said, radio is my passion and right. it always will be that that'll, it's my first love and nothing will ever change that. I think there'll always be a place for that. Podcasting has made things a little bit different, but there's this like kind of general store aspect of sports radio, you know, podcast is so hyper-specific. Like I'm going to listen to the Colts podcast and it's only about the Colts, or I'm going to listen to this podcast about, you know, um, Ulysses Grant. And it's only about that. Whereas what I always kind of liked about at least with Jake and and me, or or even like JMV or use a local example here, Jake's new show with, with newest show with Kevin Bowen, is that it's a little bit of everything, right? Not only is it Colts, it's Pacers, it's IU, it's Purdue. And it's also, hey, I went to um, I went to the Rivy the other day and this is what happened to me. You know what I mean? It, it connects right. with people yeah. that I, I don't think you can necessarily get all the, sure, podcasts connect with people too, but more kind of far reaching and, and more, you're grabbing more ears and more eyeballs um, with that sort of content. So I think there'll always be a place for that. But I think where we're going is that, you know, when I was coming out of school, Gary, in, in 2005, it was like, pick a lane. Do you want to do print? Do you want to do radio? Do you want to do TV? And now mm-hmm. you have to be able to do all of those things. You have to be able to be on camera. You have to be able to write and you have to be able to talk. And you're not going to be successful if you're not able to do all three of those things. But also, you don't need to attach yourself to a platform you have a platform in your pocket right now. <laughs> right. So, yeah. you know, anybody can get on YouTube and, and do a show or anybody can start a podcast and kind of do a show. So I think where we're heading, and this is an extreme example, but look at Pat McAfee. Oh. Pat McAfee is involved. Well, now he's with ESPN college game day, right? But WWE, and then he's got his own show and then he's got own his separate deals with FanDuel and stuff like that. But it's all him. It's all his. He has the freedom to bounce around and do kind of whatever he wants to do. And I think that's where we're going. Like, I I don't know if 20 years from now, even if there is a, a sports radio host in midday or afternoon drive in a major market, if that person is collecting a, a 401k and an employee of, a, of some company, I, I wonder if that's just going to be freelance where you're sharing yeah. your platform w- with somebody else. That's where ultimately, when, when I look into the crystal ball, that's where I think it's going. Much more with Derek Schultz uh, coming up when we return. We'll talk about uh, Derek, the early years in uh, Connecticut, what brought him to Indiana, Indiana University, and uh, a whole lot more. The Miracle Twins uh, as well. We'll certainly talk about that. Or tr- Triplets, right? Triplets, that's I right. said twins. Boy, <laughs> the miracle triplets. We'll talk about that too when the Business and Beyond podcast continues. This is Alex Brown. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand. 
This twice daily podcast features our statewide Inside Indiana Business radio reports with additional bonus content that you can listen to anytime, anywhere. You can listen now on the podcast page at InsideIndianaBusiness.com or subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. My guest this week is radio icon Derek Schultz. He's currently (laughs) the content and communications manager at ISC Sports Network. Also the host of uh, Query and Schultz on the ISC Sports Network. You can catch that on Comcast, Xfinity Channel 81, as well as all major podcast platforms. Uh, also the host of uh, Schultz's Star Show, which I had the good fortune to uh, to appear on uh, here not long ago. Uh, hey, Derek, let's start uh, kind of in the early years. And I feel like, and I'm sure a lot of people who who listen to to the radio show feel the same way. Like they know you because you, you, you would talk about you and, and and Jake would talk about stuff all the time. Uh, growing up in Connecticut, what was uh, Trumbull, Connecticut? Right. Yes. What was growing up in in Connecticut like? Uh, it was great. Uh, it was suburbia, USA. It, it was kind of like a giant New York City suburb, essentially. You know, Trumbull was nestled in Fairfield County, which had a lot of affluent communities around it, but, but Trumbull was not, you know, Darianne, New, New Canaan, a lot of the rich like hedge fund people that worked in New York city yeah, yeah. had homes there. Um, Trumbull was much more kind of laid back, but I always say I, I had a very Norman, my childhood was like a Norman Rockwell painting. My mom sang in the church choir and my dad did everything with us. And, you know, they're about to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary coming up this summer. Um, my sisters and I were, were close and played together. We played wiffle ball and basketball and football with all the neighborhood kids. It was a wonderful place to, to grow up. And then, and then every time we did anything special, we'd go into this huge metropolis in New York City and go to the garden and see a concert or um, go to a Yankee game or go on Broadway or, you know, go see the tree when it was Christmas yeah. in Rockefeller Center. It was great. Um, I, I, I think as an adult, I've come to kind of appreciate more that my childhood was not something that it was something that I kind of took for granted at the time um, because a lot of my friends had similar upbringings too. Um, but then you come to realize, Hey, not everybody had that, but my, my folks were born and raised in South Bend, um, went to Adams class of 69, and in the 70s, my dad, with his mentor, who I'm actually named after, his name was Derek McCleary, um, who's still living, said, hey, you need to come out here. We're, we're, we've got this branch um, that's that's in Norwalk, uh, Connecticut, which is down the road. And we, we want you to join up with us here. And so he and my mom moved out there. But Connecticut was, uh, it'll always be home to me. It was a great place to grow up. And I, I really enjoyed my time there. Yeah. And I forgot about the, the South Bend connection. That's, um, yeah. That that is uh, that's interesting. Hey, but you know the fact that you're in media and are making a living in media probably not unusual because you were a media star at birth, right? <laughs> uh, in, in Connecticut, I remember hearing you and 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 Jake talk about this. But the miracle triplets, the, no, yes. the local newspaper followed that miracle birth. Talk about uh, talk about that. You're one of one of three, right? One, uh, yeah, one of three. So I'm I'm the oldest by two and four minutes. So my my baby sisters are Dorothy and Abby. <laughs> at, at the time, you know, the story that I was always told, Gary, and I believed this up until like my thirtieth birthday, was that. Um, you know, an angel came down from the sky and just handed my mom three babies. Um, 
Turns out there were some uh, clinical trial fertility drugs and things like that in the early <laughs> 80s uh, <laughs> that were involved. And uh, yeah. I guess it really took. And so instead of one, my, my parents were just desperately trying to, to have a family. Um, they ended up with, boom, instant family and all three of us. But, um, you know, in, in all seriousness, my, we were supposed to be born in mid-May. And uh, my mom started going into labor in uh, mid-February. Wow. So we were, I, I think, 11 weeks premature. And there was some, you know, thought that, you know, there's like a 50, this is just, you know, secondhand, obviously I'm, I'm in the womb. I don't know exactly what's going on, but there's right. this 50, 50 chance that everything's going to be okay. And, and even if something is going to be okay, that there, there's not going to be some sort of complications and, and thank God that there, there wasn't with, you know, yeah. me and my sisters are both three healthy babies and now healthy adults. Uh, so we were born a little over two pounds each and uh, spent the first couple of weeks in incubators before they were allowed to take us home. But uh, the Trumbull Times, which is still around the town paper, it's about 40,000 people in that town. So it's a, a decent sized little community had a reporter that followed us around really for the first five years of our life. They, we actually had an article from our first trip out to Indiana to see my grandparents when they were still living. And um, so this has been an ongoing saga, an ongoing story, right? That's right. You know, what I always say is that I'm used to being in the spotlight because it literally (laughs) happened from the second that I drew my first breath. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And and, uh, I got to ask you about um, about wiffle ball, because that that was a huge passion, right? Uh, Growing up in Connecticut. Yeah, absolutely. When I was about 14, you know, we had a, a decent sized backyard and we had cleared out. My dad had cleared out a lot of the woods. And so we would have uh, like home run derbies with um, we, we would use sometimes baseballs when we were kids. And then we, we ended we kept hitting the house. So we started using tennis balls with aluminum bats. But then <laughs> we, we hit it so hard. One of my buddies, Greg Larson, in fact, who lived down the street from us, hit a tennis ball so hard that it actually broke the, f- the awning or something on the back window. So my parents said, Hey, you can't do this anymore. You got to find something else. So we're like, okay, well, wiffle balls aren't going to travel that far. So um, we started a league and this was in the very early days. Do you remember the old kind of like GoDaddy? the old web hosting was called angel fire. Yeah. And you could build your own website. Right. So I welcome.to slash TWBL. I think the homepage is actually still up. So you can see the Trumbull wiffle ball league website circa 1997 so it's, it's crazy to think it's 25 years ago. And we had, uh, we had four teams and I was in, I was a freshman in high school with some neighborhood kids and some of the kids in uh, some of the kids in the freshman class at Trimble high. And we'd play games every Saturday. And, and we did that for two and a half years. The problem is, is that in the third year, you know, kids were 16, 17, Started bringing beer over, you know, there were <laughs> cigarette butts in the yard. And uh, my parents said, hey, uh, no more wiffle ball league. So that abruptly ended around when I was uh, 16 going on 17. I <laughs> uh, love it. Hey, what, what got you to, uh, to IU for college? It was really two things. One was my parents are both alums. And uh, I grew up a just a rabid IU basketball fan. Um, I actually grew up, and before I realized how much this made people upset out here, given their ties to South Bend, my sister went to St. Mary's. I grew up a huge Notre Dame football, IU basketball, reversible jacket guy. Um, <laughs> okay. And I, and I, I kind of quickly left that, <laughs> left that aside uh, once I came out here just for, you know, for, for on-air purposes. But um, IU basketball was the big draw. We, we'd watch all the Saturday games on CBS. And even, you know, in the 90s, the ESPN carried a lot of their games. So yeah. I didn't have Channel 4, obviously, in Connecticut where I grew up. But I was able to see IU 
six, eight, 10 times, whatever it is a year um, in all their tournament games and all that. So I wasn't, I, I didn't feel that disconnected from the program. But the other thing that I wanted was I, I wanted a big school far away where nobody knew who I was. <laughs> I, I just wanted uh-huh. a clean slate and start over. And Hey, there's, there's that guy, Derek. Uh, I don't know anything about him instead uh-huh. of, Hey, there's that guy, Derek. He threw up at the eighth grade dance and had to go <laughs> home. You know, like that's what I wanted. <laughs> I, yeah. I wanted kind of that to, to make a new name. And Indiana checked that box for me. There, there aren't a lot of schools. I didn't want to go to UConn. I didn't want to. Um, Was that the I, net, a lot of your buddies probably went to UConn? Yeah. And to each their own, right? I, I don't mean this like in a, in a negative way towards anybody that chose to do that. I didn't want to hang out with the same people I'd hung out with my entire life. I, I wanted to experience something new and new people and new cultures and uh, an entirely new region of the United States. Not that I wasn't somewhat familiar with Indiana, given you know, we go out to South Bend basically every summer to visit grandparents and cousins and all of that. But I just wanted something new. And, and in Indiana really did that for me. Well, how'd you go? Okay. You, you graduated from IU and matriculated to, uh, to Indianapolis. What was the, the uh, entree into radio? Was it WXLW? Was that the, the first? Actually, I, I did. Uh, I, I did student radio throughout IU. And I originally wanted to be a play-by-play guy. You know, I, I grew up idolizing Marv Albert. My dad worked for the parent company of the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers um, before they ended up being bought by Cablevision. And so we'd go to Knicks games all the time. And I, I just, you know, I talk about my rabid IU basketball fandom. I lived and died with the 1990s Knicks, yep. which has always been weird living here because of, you know, like that John rivalry, Starks yeah. and Anthony yeah. Mason were my heroes and they are the villains. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Here in central Indiana. But that's that was the original path that I wanted to take. And then I, I kind of quickly realized that it was going to be difficult, a, a tough nut to crack, you know, guys like Matt Taylor and, and people like that, th- they'll tell you how difficult it is to be, you know, right place, right time and, and, and get that done. And show hosting was just a door that kind of opened up for me. Sophomore year, I, I'd stuck around at, at IU that summer and they said, Hey, we've got this show called the Thursday night sports happy hour. Do you want to host it? And it's one hour. And I said, sure. Um, and I started doing that and just the bug bit me. I loved the long form conversations that you could have. I loved being completely honest. It had far less structure than play-by-play. And, uh, and I, I just, I, I loved how laid back it was. Um, so I did a couple of internships in college, including my senior year. I did one with when, when Kevin Lee was a sports director at WIBC before 1070 The Fan existed. Um, my f- first internship was, um, I was the Pacers locker room audio gopher. So I'd go in and get the sound bites for Kevin's post-game show. And it was in, uh, some Pacers fans may remember this season, the year that I did that was the fall of 2004 into 2005. So my first couple of weeks, I'm doing weekend games for the Pacers that season. And then suddenly the brawl happens in Detroit. And instead of getting audio from J.O. and Steven Jackson and Reggie Miller, I'm getting audio from Eddie Gill and John yeah. Edwards and you know all these yeah. guys who aren't used to people coming up and sticking a microphone yeah. in their face. So that was a, that was an interesting year to be uh, my first foray into indie, but that's when I kind of fell in love with the city. Cause I'd be, I'd be walking back from the MS studios to my car at like, you know, two in the morning or whatever on a Saturday, walking around the circle and walking around downtown. And I was like, Hey, this is, this is cool. I, I never really spent any meaningful time being in Bloomington. I'd outside of picking up friends at the Greyhound bus station, <laughs> you know, I'd never really spent any meaningful yeah. time in Indianapolis. And that's when the bug kind of bit me there too. Um, So WXLW came along um, when I realized that uh, my, my, 
my lease wasn't up on my house yet. I graduated Indiana and all of the, uh, I had four roommates who were under me. They still had another year to go. So I still had a room there. So I thought, okay, I'm not re- really rented, ready to enter the real world. I'll stick around on the lease for one more year in Bloomington. I had a job at Outback Steakhouse where I met my wife. And I was like, I, I got to do something professionally speaking besides overcooked steaks. So why don't I get another internship? So I, I called up Greg Rakestraw, who's a, a dear friend and a mentor and, and all of that here all these years later. And he said, yeah, we have a spot for you. In fact, you know, you can intern, but we might even have some part-time stuff for you. And I thought, oh, that's great. So um, after a couple of weeks of being an intern, I started doing part-time weekends there. And it was a lot of fun. You know, 05, 06 was, was one of the, it was a lot of 60 hour weeks and all of that, but it was one of the most fun and rewarding years of my life to be down there in Bloomington and be done with school um, and be able to focus on radio and and have some fun as well. Really gave you a launching pad. Okay. Tell me about meeting Jay Query, how you guys came together uh, (laughs) and got the show. You, if I remember correctly, you did not, you guys really didn't meet till you were ready to go yeah. on, essentially ready to go on the air. Right. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't meet face to face until 48 hours before our first show. Uh, so what happened was I was at WXLW with, with, with rake. I, you know, moved my way up part-time. I started doing a high school show and then a, a daytime show. And then eventually I was, I was co-hosting with, with Greg afternoons. And then he left to focus on TV. And so I did solo afternoon show at WXLW for two and a half years. And, you know, that was tough. This, you know, Gary, the signal was, was difficult. It pointed straight South from 56th street. So a lot of times in the donut counties, you couldn't even hear it. Right. It was, it was a little engine that could that little station because it was the ESPN affiliate. And then it lost all of that once MS um, decided to expand into sports. But um, I, I had gotten a heads up from somebody that had been booked on Mark Patrick's show and Mark's been just great. And I consider him a friend too. Um, you know, a wonderful guy that uh, for advice and all that, but anyway, um, uh, that, that, that they were moving on. And then, you know, Mark uh, obviously retired and I put in my resume and said, Hey, you know, I'm doing the afternoon show, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, I'm having coffee with Buzz Casey, who was then the program director the next day. And then the next week um, I didn't have a non-compete at WXLW. They just, they never gave me one. I never signed one. So yeah. I did my last show at WXLW on Friday and that Monday I was on the air with Jake, but the, the funny thing, I, I knew Jake a little bit because his longtime girlfriend, Shannon Walsh, is the daughter of Donnie Walsh. And Donnie was running the Knicks at the time. And so Jake would feed me like little tidbits of information about like trade prospects for Carmelo Anthony based on what he gleaned from Donnie at dinner, you know, Sunday right. dinner at their right. house. So that we did have some sort of relationship there. But um, we were at George's Neighborhood Grill uh, with my program director, 71st and Binford. I remember it vividly. I'm wearing this you know, dress shirt. I've got slacks on from like the JC Penny clearance aisle because, you know, those radio salaries, especially on those smaller stations uh, did not dictate much than the JC Penny <laughs> clearance aisle. And, uh, and I get in there and I'm, I'm waiting in that holding area. And uh, a guy walks in with a Quebec Nordiques t-shirt on ripped jeans and a backwards hat. And I thought to myself, <laughs> what have I done? That's my, <laughs> what have I signed up for here? <laughs> Uh, but the, the rest is, uh, I guess the rest is history. That, that was my first impression of Jake. And, and luckily, um, that first impression, even though while negative, uh, it turned into a very positive relationship. Well, what, what made in your view, as you think about it, uh, because you guys, I, I think had, had an energy, had, had a, a connection on the air, uh, kind of a yin and yang, you know, back and forth that, that worked. 
uh, I think in a big way. What 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 made made it it connect? Do you think on the air because your personalities and backgrounds are different, and maybe that's what yeah. what it is. What 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 in your view made it click? I think the differences are important. Um, you know, we never had a blueprint or anything, Gary, where we said, okay, this is what we want the show to be. I, I think if you manufacture it, then it comes off as not genuine. Right. And Fake, so it yeah. just kind of evolves into time over, uh, over time, what it was going to be. And, and what I think was kind of the pillar of the show was the fact that we're almost exactly 10 years apart, which is kind of like the perfect generational gap. And it, it was almost like a big brother, little brother thing where at the end of the day, we love each other and we're stuck together, but he's going to give me the hardest time possible. I'm going to give him the hardest time possible. And, and that's kind of what we sort of went with there. But I, I think people appreciated the fact that we did not take, and we still don't, we just don't take ourselves seriously at all. Sports can be very like X's and O's and like life right. and death. Yeah. And we never treated it that way because, you know, if the Colts have a devastating loss, yeah, it sucks. And people call in and they're depressed and all of that. But like, I'm not losing sleep over it you know, and, and neither is Jake. And, you know, those things should not impact your mood or your life uh, the way that they do. So I, I think people appreciated that it was a little more of a, of a laid back show, but that chemistry and, and things like that. I mean, that took, I, I can't tell you how difficult it is to just airdrop two people in and say, Hey, do a show. Sure. Yeah. You know, that, that took at least two years. It probably wasn't even until we were well into year three that I, that I felt like we kind of got our footing and, and knew sort of what to expect each day and, and how to really play off of one another. What, what, uh, any, any, um, any on air, uh, instances you remember in particular, I know that kind of puts you on the spot because I'm sure there were, there, there were a few, but as you reflect back, uh, on those times on the air and you were on the air for, for, you know, a number of years, anything that uh, stands out to you? I mean, there, there are a lot of show moments, certainly, that, that stand out to me. And, and you know, I, I hope this was one of the endearing aspects of the show. I've been told this, and I, I hope everybody feels this way, that this is a universal thing. But what I, a lot of my favorite show memories are, are from regular callers. We had a guy named Party Man Nick. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember. His name was Nick Coleman. <laughs> and he called the first year that we were on the show. I think we were out at the track doing the show from, um, from Gasoline Alley. And said, hey, buddy, what's up? And it's just kind of a good old boy, a, a native West Sider. He drove like a Chrysler LeBaron <laughs> that had a tape deck in it, I remember. Just full of life and energy and, and always in a good mood. And, you know, it got to the point where we just developed a, a friendship with him. And, and people would expect him to call the show. And especially month of May when that rolled around. Because yeah. you tell all old stories about passing out of the Coke lot and not remembering where he was and, and in the snake pit and all of that. Sadly, uh, Nick had throat cancer in 2015 and, and ended up passing away. And um, uh, that show is one that I remember um, just the yep. opening that, that Jake hit because Jake is just so he, he has a way with words that I can't, you know, I, I think I'm pretty good at what I do, especially when it comes to like tragic circumstances and things like that. Nobody is as eloquent to me as, as Jake. He just knows mm -hmm. how it just rolls off the tongue for him. It's just easy for him. So those are some of the things, just a special bond that we had with a couple of callers and listeners. Um, I got to meet and interview Patrick Ewing at the final four radio row in San Antonio, which I just remember was, you talking about. Yeah. That. Just yeah. A, a huge, <laughs> huge thrill for me, kind of an out of body experience almost. He just was my, he was my Mickey Mantle. I mean, he was, I had like five or six of his posters in my room. 
he was my hero. And, and just kind of going back to earlier in the conversation, Gary, like, you know, getting me through COVID and all of that, you know, what, what, and the layoff, what I always told people was that if you would have told me when I was 12 years old, that I, I would have been able to do this and make a living out of it and meet and talk to Patrick Ewing and interview John Mattingly at uh, Don Mattingly and go to a Super Bowl where the, my childhood team, the giants won in my new hometown and get on the field and scoop up some confetti and mail it back to my dad afterwards. Like, I, I, I get that it's good to have goals and to be like, okay, I want to do this and this and this. And look, like, you know, originally I wanted to be Marv Albert, right? I fell well short right. of that goal, <laughs> but ultimately speaking, I feel like I did it. You know, I, I feel like I accomplished what I set out to do. And a lot of people don't get to say that inside and outside of this business. And I don't mean that in like an arrogant way. I just mean it like, you know, I'm very fortunate to, to have the ability to have, to have done that. Um, I remember telling Kevin, he, Kevin Lee was like, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to host a drive time show in a major market. And Indy might not be New York or Chicago, but considering all the sports that, that we have here to be able to do that for 12 years. You know, I, I feel like I, I checked that box, but yeah. um, I, I mean, it's almost, it, it's too hard to like pinpoint all these Corey and Schultz memories. Cause so many kind of flood yeah, to me, sure. but I, I think what made that show special for me was how special it was for other people and how I, I we wanted to make it feel like everybody was part of the show. And, and I hope we accomplished that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it really neat too, that you've been able to do those things have that little uh, hiccup uh, in the road, that little bump on the road and be able to kind of reinvent yourself and continue to do it. And as you look at, at what's next, and I know you've got, you've got a little one, you've got a lot going on. So sometimes it's tough to kind of look, look in the front, uh, you know, through the windshield as to what's next, but any thoughts on what's next uh, for Derek Schultz continuing to grow what you're doing? I assume what, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, on kind of that next adventure? Yeah, you know, what's next for me, Gary, is just desperately clinging on to whatever shred of relevance I still have in Indianapolis. That's uh, <laughs> no, but I while I am just almost like a um, obsessive, compulsive uh, prepper and planner when it comes to like show prep and and really anything that I'm doing, I, I like to be fully prepared. My career, I, I've never really kind of mapped out what it's going to be. I, I've been more reactionary than I have been, you know, anything else. Like a lot of the stuff that's happened in my career has just been stuff that's popped up like the NDE job. I mean, I, I get a random phone call from a buddy. Hey, I was booked to do Mark Patrick. Mark's not doing a show today. 10 minutes late within 10 minutes, I've got a tape and a, and an email off to NDE, like stuff like that. Uh, it yeah. just, it just happens. I, you can't possibly plan for that. It just, it's just something that popped up and that you have to try to react to. But, but ultimately, I, I would like to keep some semblance of this relationship going here where I, I have in column A, my job job, and then in column B, my freelance stuff and everything that feeds into that and still having the freedom to, uh, to do that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not shut off to a return to full-time media should that door open to me at some point. It's just not something that I, I, I just can't have all my eggs in that basket because I think, you know, anybody that does that, you're just going to be left, you know, the, those eggs are going to end up rotting uh, for, yep. for a lot of people. It ended up working out for Jake and good for him. But, you know, if you look back at Jake's 50 years, basically everything in his life has worked out, you know, Jake's <laughs> way. So uh, <laughs> you knew that that was eventually happening. But, you know, PR or um, communications or, or something along those lines, um, you know, I'm, I'm loving what we're doing and we're growing at, at ISC Sports Network as well. So, I'm not saying that like I'm looking at that as a stepping stone. I'm, I'm not. Um, I'm, I'm very happy with 
where everything is going. But I just hope, you know, five, 10 years from now, I can still be active in, in doing this. I, I still hope I can attract eyeballs and ears and people still care what I have to say, or at least entertained by what I have to say and, and kind of keep that ball in the air. I think that will indeed be the case. Uh, Derek Schultz has been great to catch up with you. Uh, you're a real pro. I, I've enjoyed listening and reading uh, your work and look forward to continuing to do that as well. Best of luck to you and uh, your wife, your young family, and uh, hope you're in the Indianapolis market for many years to come. Same to you and yours, Gary. Thanks so much for having me on your show. All right. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. It is a weekly conversation with achievers in business, sports, entertainment, and beyond. And you can download all of our episodes, all nearly 90 episodes now, plus get Indiana Business News 24-7. All you have to do is go to InsideIndianaBusiness.com. Thanks for joining us. I'm Gary Dick. We'll see you next time.